0: Okay, locked in laser focus mindset podcast where we interview the world's top performers and figure out the formula for how they consistently achieve laser focus. I'm going to get this out of the way for the folks who are watching on video. No, I'm not nervous. I'm sweating because my AC is broken. The thermostat reads 92, but we don't let that get in the way of the mission. So that's the last we're going to talk about it. Today, we have one of the world's top experts in high performance. And let's give some credentials. He's the managing partner of Shift the Work, which is a consulting group that has worked with companies that we all know, the likes of Microsoft, New Balance, John Hancock, and helps transform their leadership, hiring process, their cultures into high performing organizations. He's also a best selling author of Thrive, the leader's guide to building a high performance culture. This man eats. Breathes, sweats, and bleeds. High performance. It's Mr. Andrew Friedman. Andrew, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Tom, I'm excited, man. That's that. <laughs> uh, I've done a lot of podcasts. That's probably the most enthusiastic, energetic, <laughs> and authentic. I know you mean it. Intro. So uh, you
0: got me psyched, man. I'm I'm a high energy guy, and we like helping people. So that's exactly what we're here to do today. And kind of just brings me right into you know how I kind of wanted to spin it today. I hope it's all right with you, but. Obviously as your job at Shift the Work you guys you know essentially audit these these companies and you know try to transform everything from the leadership the hiring process the technology in place and what I really wanted to do is see how we could kind of take that macro level and see how we could potentially bring it to the micro level of how can individuals aka our listeners folks like myself become a high performer themselves right so maybe you could just kind of start by walking us through the process. You walk into a John Hancock, maybe a Mike Jar guy, you know, welcomes you at the door. Uh, shout out to my Uncle Mike. Uh, and and how does it start?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the the first thing you know, people ask us, they say, who's a good client for you, which, mm-hmm. you know, will lead me to your specific question. And it's less about the industry. It's less about the size of the company. I mean, we worked with, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 10 companies. We work with you know, entrepreneurs and startups. And the, you know, the answer for me is always, it's about the leader, Mm. about the leader. And you picked a good example, not just because he's your uncle, but, you know, Mike is a great example of a leader who gets it, a leader who really values what it means to build a high performance culture and really what it means to value your people. You know, no, no uh, leader would say, I don't care about my people. I don't care about culture. But the reality is, actions speak much louder than, much louder than words. And, uh, you know, the reality is I see it and in the 20 plus years I've been doing this is that a culture and your people are the only competitive advantage that's sustainable. It's impossible to copy culture. You can hire away people, but you can't imitate the culture. So the first thing is really understanding who the leader is, Tom, and what the leader believes and that the leader believes, that a high-performing culture and their people is a critical competitive advantage, then we should have a conversation. So that's the first thing is we got to pick well, because there's there's not a company on the planet, I do believe this, that we couldn't help, but that's not the point. They're not all good clients for us. And, and frankly, we, we may not be able to live our mission and our vision of transforming workplace engagement and performance if we've got the wrong match. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. Second thing is Everything at the organizational level and at the individual level, it really doesn't matter. The spectrum has to start with defining success. I call this in the book that Paul and I wrote. It's it's thinking right to left, not left to right. Got to start with defining success. So at that at that micro level that you mentioned, individual level for a leader who maybe isn't, you know, isn't the CEO, isn't in the C-suite yet, maybe aspires to be, it starts with understanding what does winning look like for me? in my department, for my team, for myself. And whether that's for a year, six months, a month, a week, today, whatever it is, people who have this laser focused mindset, the ones who really understand what it's gonna take to win and win consistently and win big, they always start by understanding what's the goal. And I don't mean like, what's the sales goal or what's the revenue goal or what's the net profit goal. Those are lagging indicators. Of course, those are important, but I mean, today, when i wake up what's my plan what am i going for what's winning like you and i were talking you know earlier before the before this episode about some of the goals you have and some of the work you do in addition to this podcast and you're really clear what you described for me are the kinds of companies that you really get juice from working with the kinds of relationships the kind of people the mission driven they stand for something well it's much easier if you're clear on that to know who do you want to prospect to? What kinds of relationships do you want to build? Who do you really want to spend time with? That stuff's critical. That's that's the that would be my you know the long answer to a short question. It's got to start by defining success first. Yep.
0: Defining winning, defining the vision. I think you know one thing that's kind of funny about what you said. If you take it to the inv- individual perspective, unlike you, where you have clients knocking at your door and you can kind of be selective with who you work with. Hey, you you only got one life. You only have you know you're you right. So you know, you might not like who you are, but it needs to start with that vision needs to start with where do I want to be? So do you, do you run into companies that say, Hey, we we don't really know, like, do, are they ever that honest of like, I I really don't know what the vision is. I really don't know what the values to get there are. Is is that something that you guys kind of help them create? Because obviously, you know, as, as we try to map out our goals and, defining success. Well, how do we even know what high performance looks like in general? Like some, for some people, high performance is like, I got out of bed before eight o'clock today. Right. So, you know, I guess where I'm going with this is sort of like, how do you create the vision? How do you, how does that, how does that process work?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to hit both of the things that you said. They're both equally important. Yes. Is the answer to your first question, which is absolutely. We run across organizations all the time that aren't super clear on their vision and they might not have organizational values or they have both of those things, but they're really not coming to life in a material way. And when I say material, Tom, what I mean is that you know the vision and the values aren't used as filters by which leaders make decisions, mm-hmm. hiring decisions, you know, um, ways to resolve customer issues, ways to think about what products and services do we want to sell? What kinds of clients do we want to deal with or not deal with? So fully mature vision and values inform those kinds of things. So we definitely meet companies that don't have them yet, or they have them and they're underused. And mm-hmm. oftentimes what winds up happening is when many businesses start, it, it happens because you have somebody who is a practitioner, like take tech, a lot of tech companies. You have somebody that's a software developer that really likes developing code or really developing cool ideas. And they go, you know what? I want to start a business. And all of a sudden they wake up one day. And they got 50 or 60 million dollars of revenue. They got a bunch of humans they're responsible for. And they go, <laughs> Holy moly, how the heck did I get here? Right. I don't know anything about being a CEO. And I don't now I gotta hire people. I don't know who to hire. This and how started to- this started in my garage. I didn't exactly. know what to to this. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's where we meet a lot of the small to mid-sized businesses, is they're in that place where great idea, purposeful execution, you know, really got some good momentum, and then they go, okay. If I want to take this somewhere, I really need to put some some structure, some formality. Um, really do this right. So that's the first piece. The second piece, you know, is when people aren't really sure, or if they've got something that maybe you know isn't calling them. Um, we have a process that we use that really helps leaders be very introspective, and go through a series of reflections, of questions, of deep thinking, of, of deep listening, to really come to grips with why are we doing this. Mm. Why does it matter? It's not. I mean, anybody that says it's for profit is full of baloney to a degree. Of course, money is a byproduct of something greater. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to build something, sell it and make a bunch of cash. But there's also a purpose behind the company. Like, what is that deep purpose? What is that big thinking that really is going to pull people out of bed every day? Not you know, that they're going to feel like they're slogging towards work, but really is going to call them. Um, so Amazon is one that I love to use you know, just as you think about their vision statement, they said a number of years ago, you know, they wanted to be the world's most customer centric company on the planet. Mm -hmm. Great. That that's, you know, that doesn't say what they're going to sell, or what people can buy there. Frankly, you know, years ago, remember, it was like, this is probably eight or nine years ago. Amazon was selling, I don't even know how many millions of dollars of lumber. Really? At time that That cracked me up. Yeah, because I was like, how lumber? That's weird. Um, Anyway, my point is, it's got to start with some really deep thinking about what's the purpose? Why are we doing this? Why does it matter? What's the cause? And what's something that's going to pull other like-minded people to want to do this and to want to do business with us? That's where it starts.
0: No, that's a great point. And I, I saw as one of the kind of takeaways in the book in, in Thrive, there's a lot of like hyperlinks where you can, you know, not only just read about it, there's additional resources that are that are uh, you know excellent kind of tools for you. And one of them was, hey, if you're gonna set a goal, set a mission, you write down 25, you know, reasons why this is your goal. And to think about it, you know, I, I really think it made me think when I was doing it. Is like, man, if you can't come up with this many reasons, then maybe it's not so much a, a goal to go after, right? So exercising that—that's one of the tools that they use—is—is is doing that. And you—you you, you had a nice story in there where um, someone needed to hit their sales goal because it was much more than, hey, I want to, you know, have a nice car. I want to have a nice home. What her grant? You know, she had lost her, you know, son-in-law or daughter-in-law, and, and her daughter, and her grandchild uh, was, you know, essentially an orphan. And her why was I want to make sure that she never has to, to lose money or, or have to worry about where the next meal is coming from. So I think that's a great tool for people who are lost because a lot of people who listen to this podcast or, you know, just kind of in the age bracket or demographic, we're still trying to figure it out. What is the why? How do we get there? So you define the yeah. why, what's kind of the next step in the organization. And I'm going to just keep trying to pinpoint how it goes to the individual.
1: Yeah. So once the organization is, gets a little more clear on why, um, you, know, you come up with a vision, then it's important to come up with organizational values. Mm. What are the things that are most important to us, non-negotiable, absent of performance? What are the things that we really stand for? And they can be anything. It's not about originality. You don't get points for originality with values. What you get points for are things that will really govern and guide decision-making and how we, how we actually behave, how we treat each other how we think, how we make decisions, how we solve problems. So you got vision at the top, you got values as a foundation, and then it's about goals, core strategies, initiatives, investments. That's the, that's really the performance stack. You got vision at the top, values at the bottom, and in the middle, it's everything that aligns the organization and creates clarity on what are the things that we're going to commit to hundred percent that we're going to commit to put our money, our resources, our time, our people behind to really get us closer to that vision. Once you've got those foundational elements in place, the rest of it becomes much easier. When those things are unclear, it's tough to hire. It's tough to manage
0: performance. It's tough to make investments. It's tough to know if you're winning. It's Mm -hmm. tough to create alignment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, it goes back to defining what winning is. Now it's the game plan. How, how How do I set up a day to win the day? And another thing, by the way, Andrew told me, you know, this isn't a sales pitch for his book. I just found it very useful. So that's why I'm just saying it in the book. It has like a, or or you can go to uh, thrive.com and essentially it it gives you kind of a, a basic, uh, you know, kind of plan for the day of how you can map out your day to build kind of a winning culture in yourself. So uh, no, that that's, that's extremely helpful. What about the resources and technologies in place? And the reason I say that is you can have a plan, you can have a great vision, but if you don't have the resources in place to get it done, uh, you're you're gonna fail eventually. Like for example, I like to get up and get my workout done in the morning. If I that alarm goes off at whatever 5 a.m. and my shoes aren't next to my bed, my my shorts aren't there, I'm not getting up because I you know it's warm in the bed or it's extra warm in the bed right now and 92 degrees in my apartment, but it's tough to get out. But when you have those systems in place, it makes it easier. How do you kind of redesign those things?
1: Yeah. The, um, one of the things that, that folks will see, um, if they download some of those accelerators you talk about or just flip through the book, there is a high performance model that we use. It's six arrows and the arrows represent influences that can either accelerate or decelerate performance. Mm. And what you're, the things that you're referring to fall into one of those arrows, it's environments, systems and resources, Exactly. and those things are external to the individual, right? These are things that organizational leaders need to think about. What are the, what's the right environment or environments? What are the right organizational systems or technology systems? And then what are the right resources? Resources could be tools, job aids, human, Mm -hmm. cash, whatever. The biggest mistake, Tom, that I see leaders make is they make these decisions without actually thinking about the work that needs to be done or the people who are powering the work. And so you've got leaders who are far removed from actually doing the work and far removed from the customers trying to do good thinking, um, remembering kind of what it was when they used to be closer to the customer or when they used to do the job. But all the data suggests this. Things are moving so fast today, Tom, technology and you know customer requirements and demands and all that stuff. Uh, that it says this, if you haven't performed a job in six months or more, you've actually lost your perspective on what it's like to do that work. So the first thing that I would recommend is that leaders absolutely consult with the people that are doing the work closest to the customers, the frontline performers, study them, ask them, survey them, shadow them, like really pick their brains when you're thinking about as a leader, what resources are really needed? How should we design our technology systems? What should the work environment be to foster collaboration and deep thinking and problem solving and all that? Go to the people doing the work. I can't stress that enough. You've got to consult the people doing the work. That is one of the biggest parts of the secret sauce in the work that we do is we go to the front line. We study those people doing our doing the work so we can then feed back to the leadership. What are the things that need to change to make the work system run better?
0: Yeah, no, it's again, it it comes back to like, if we bring it back to the individual level, it's hyper awareness on what works, what doesn't, right? And if you set a goal, hey, I want to get up at five in the morning, but have no idea what it's like to do that. And then the alarm goes off and you haven't put the systems in place, i.e. the shorts next to the bed, the shoes, everything ready to go. Well, you would never know that, right? So you, you bring up a good point, getting back to feedback now, right? And, you know, we need to constantly... See what works and readjust, realign. How does that work in the workforce? And then we can kind of again bring it back to the individual. Yeah. So I'm going to hit that
1: if you, if you'll allow me, give me a little bit of grace. I want to I want to emphasize a point that you just made around that workout analogy. Absolutely. The having the shorts and the shoes and all that by your bed is important for sure. There's another part that's really important, which goes back to the why that you were emphasizing before if the individual isn't committed to why it's important to get up and work out. Mm. And I'm not just talking about like get healthy and reduce chance of cardiovascular disease and all that stuff. (laughs) I mean like, truly like, why, why are you getting up at five o'clock in the morning? Why are you sacrificing sleep? Why are you going to put in the sweat? Why are you going to get sore? Why like, why is that important to you? Why is that non-negotiable? If people are really clear on that, they will be more likely to, you know, maybe not jump up out of bed, but they'll do it with a little more purpose and a little more vigor. So that's the that's the point I want to underscore. The resources are critical, but really getting back to the purpose
0: and the why, it's got to start there. Always goes back to the winning. Why? What does winning look like? What is the purpose of this? And when yeah. you move with purpose and precision, that's when you start to win. Okay. So the, more on the feedback side now. Yeah. So on the feedback side, it's like, you know, feedback is expectations and feedback. That's
1: another one of those key external influences and when you think about athletes or musicians or dancers or you know, singers, they get immediate performance feedback, right? It's like you're a basketball player or a hockey player, you make the shot or you miss the shot, you got feedback right away, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can adjust accordingly. In the work that people do every day, it, there's often not built in immediate feedback mechanisms. Was that a good phone call I made, a bad phone call I made? Was that a good customer experience, a bad customer experience? Was that whatever it is. And so it's important that people are really clear on what excellence looks like in the role, that it's defined, not just a job description, but it's really defined what excellence looks like. And then leaders with their people build in more regular feedback mechanisms. Ideally, it's as near to real time as possible. That could be through coaching, mentorship, peer-to-peer feedback, manager-to-individual feedback. That means that sometimes it's good for managers to actually sit with their direct reports while they're doing their work doing it in the safe, psychologically safe. It's not punitive. It's it's all about learning and fostering growth mm-hmm. and contribution. Like when it's done that way, mm. it, it totally works. Um, one-on-ones, one of the biggest things that we see, um, over 80% of between managers and individual contributors report that one-on-ones in performance reviews
0: are a waste of time and often a negative experience. Well, they're annual. They're annual. Like That's how, are to, how are we supposed to go off an annual? you know i can't remember what i set for goals in january yeah. you know you let alone somebody let alone somebody else who's now going to look at those goals and say hey where have you been absolutely so the system the stack if you
1: will is really clear expectations really clear definition of what winning looks like clear goals that are set ideally by the individual who's doing the work agreement by the manager on what those standards are weekly one-on-ones, so pulse checks on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. How are we doing against the progress? What are we learning? What are we contributing? You know, what do we need sh- to change? Where do we need help from, the, from the, you know, the supervisor? So weekly one-on-one pulse checks, monthly more formal, a little bit of a deep dive, not just into performance, but also how's the person doing. Quarterly a little deeper, right? Let's talk maybe a little bit about their learning path, talk about their career aspirations. By the time we get to the annual performance review, all that is, is a sum of everything we've been doing through the course of the year. And so it's a very short interaction. It doesn't take hours of preparation like normally happens in organizations. Like you just said, the individual, and the manager, they're taking like two or three hours just to try to remember what the heck happened, a complete waste of time. So it can be a very short annual review that's really more focused on the year that's ahead. And mm-hmm. what are the goals and the, the areas where the person wants to contribute? So that's the way to make feedback more pointed, make it more meaningful, make it more regular. And it and the last thing I'll say is, you know, for listeners, oftentimes when people describe feedback to us, they'll say this. Um, it kind of goes like this. I want to give you some feedback. And when somebody says that, the other person starts to brace for impact. It's like, oh, crap, here it comes. It's bad. Yeah. Or, I'm going to give you constructive feedback, which is a euphemism <laughs> for, I'm going to tell you how you suck. Right. The, the, all feedback, if, if, if people are going to do this right, all feedback is constructive. It's all developmental. It's all reinforcing. It's only the essential stuff that the person needs. Right? That's the way that, that feedback should be delivered. So people look forward to it. In fact, they crave it. They, they hunger for it. They want it. They seek it out. That's when you know that feedback is really working well, and people are saying after that, you know, whatever the interaction was, help me get better. That's yeah, I, the kind of culture that you want.
0: And I think it's such a great point too, especially goal setting as an individual. If you set daily goals in the morning or the night before, and you think about, okay, what what is it? what is does winning today look like? Right, hundred sales call or hundred, you know, cold calls, and I want to make sure I get my workout in, et cetera, et cetera, and then you got to get that immediate feedback right before you go to bed and set new goals. Hey, did I hit this? Why didn't this happen? You're, you're getting that feedback right away. And it brings a question to me, you know, let's say outside of the workforce, you're looking for a mentor. I mean, how is like a mentorship? I mean, do you kind of actively seek out, do you, you know, uh, you know, encourage people to get mentors outside of the organization?
1: Absolutely. Mentorship okay. and mentoring is one of the best things that people can do both the mentor and the mentee. It's extremely, extremely rewarding when it's done right. And, you know, um, I do some work. Part of our, one of our businesses at Shift um, is Shift Ventures um, uh, and Conscious Venture Lab. And that is, you know, an organization that does, among other things, we run these cohorts of startup organizations who are looking to build, you know, socially conscious um, enterprises, right? businesses for good who do good. And I had the I had the pleasure of serving as a mentor for one of the companies in this last cohort. Company is called Lattice L A T T U S Lattice, and the founder Pete, um, who's become a good friend, he, his whole mission is about changing the world one mentor at a time, and he's built this platform because you know the point here is people say mentors are good, you should get a mentor, you should have mentees, but people don't know where to go. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, where do I, like, do I pick them off the mentor tree? I don't know do I this thing. <laughs> right. And most organizations don't have a, a formal or robust program to help their people match up with mentors who can help them grow inside or outside the company. Anyway, it's one of the reasons you made me think of that, that I, that I love Lattice is it's a platform that cuts across organizations. It's worldwide and anybody can type in the kinds of knowledge, the kind of experience, the kind of wisdom they're looking to gain and they can get matched up. With mentors from around the world oh, who that's can help awesome. them. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So it's Lattice, L A T T U S, Lattice.com. Uh, Pete Tram is the founder and CEO. It's a pretty cool thing. So yeah, I do highly recommend um, that people you know seek out and find mentors. It's really the responsibility of the individual to find them. And ways to do that is just ask people that you respect. You know, who's your mentor? How did you find a mentor? Who would you recommend? These are the kinds of things I'd like to learn. These are the kinds of experiences I'd like to gain. And you'd be amazed, folks that are listening to this, you'd be amazed how giving people are of their advice, their insights, their relationships. When they know that you really mean it you really give a damn, you really care, they will help you move mountains.
0: Absolutely. And LinkedIn is such a great resource. There's a lot of people that are extremely active on LinkedIn. I reach out to folks all the time in different sales positions. I reach out to sales leaders. Obviously, I'm in sales. And I just like to hear what it's like to sell those products. What is it like to, you know, build teams around those? How does it, the day to day work? Because you just never know, um, yeah. you know, what might pique your interest and kind of align with, you know, your values, your your mission, your vision. So that's great. No, I I, I think this has all been great stuff. I, I do have one other question though. It's 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 a, it's related, but maybe a little bit off from what you do. A lot of us are maybe getting out of the entry level type uh, roles, but we're definitely not at the top of the totem pole for most of our listeners, I'd say. Um, there are a few folks that are out there killing it, but if you are somebody and you wanna to try to influence from the bottom up, this this the company that you're at will say is likely not using shift Shift the Work as their consulting group. So maybe there are some things that you wish you could see change. How do you be a voice from the bottom up and become a leader in an organization and work your way up?
1: Yeah, I uh, I teach part time at a local university, University of Baltimore here, and uh, I, I'm in their MBA program, so I'm the last class on the capstone before students graduate. And I often get folks who are individual contributors or middle managers, and they often say to me, Andrew, you don't understand. Um, I don't have the big title. I don't I don't sign paychecks. I don't have a C next to my my name. I, I have no influence. I can't really put in place these things that we're talking about they say this at the beginning of class by the end of the class most students they change their tune a little bit because you know they don't realize how much power and influence they actually can have so here's the recipe to answer your question number one be be incessantly insatiably curious mm. ask lots of questions about why things are happening the way that they're happening you know what are the what are strategic games? How do they decide what investments to make? How do they they decide what strategic investments the, the company or partnerships they should have or shouldn't have? Like if you're not clear about something, ask. If you want to grow through the organization, ask for very specific feedback like what are three things that you see me doing to create value on a regular basis? What's one thing that you would like to see me do more of or less of that would allow me to create more value or advance through the organization. I had a a former student who was, she was a director at Pandora Jewelry a number of years ago and she grew through the, she was employee number eight. She wound up growing through the organization where she became the general manager of the Americas, um, really great career. And what she said to me one time was, you know, I used to literally, used to understand where the president of the company, like what his route around the building was when he would eat lunch, when he would go to the bathroom, when he would take breaks, and wow. every time that she had an idea, an initiative idea, wanted to influence him, she would find her way sort of in his path. To
0: bump into him. Wow.
1: Every time. And every time she got passed over for a promotion, she said her friends and family members were like, why are you still there? You should leave that company. You're never going to grow. And she, her attitude was they gave this other person the role for a reason. And she then became like really good buddies with that person so that she could learn what was it that they knew that she didn't know. Her point was, you've got to take control over your own path. Nobody's going to give it to you and nobody's going to do it for you. You have to own your career development. So folks listening to this, if you're an individual contributor, you're early in your career, you're you're middle manager, wherever you are, if you want to grow, you got to go get it. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to give it to you back to defining success. Set clear goals on what do you want to learn? What do you want to know? Where do you want to be? And then align your behavior, your attitude, your mindset, your focus with those things. You, I mean this, you are the only person stopping you from whatever it is that you aspire. You.
0: That's awesome. And just what an interesting, you know, I mean, it's probably basic human nature to try to throw as much shade as you can at that person who beat you out for the promotion. And just keeping an open mind like that as growth mindset to a T. Hey, what did this person do? What can I learn from this person? How do I set myself up like this person did to get to that level? I mean, they, we, we heard it from David Meltzer, one of our guests. If, if you want to get some, get, get going to a place, you need to find a destination, ask someone who has directions who's already been there. So I think that's huge. Um, Yeah, no, this, this, this has been absolutely fantastic. Andrew, um, you know, really appreciate, you know, your time today, You can find Andrew's uh, website. It's thrive.shiftthework.com. That's where all of these resources are. Please read this book, Thrive, whether you're, you know, what I took away most from it is looking at my organization and how things are run and you can just pinpoint where are the breakdowns, you know, where could there be improvements? Now you can be the person to say, Hey. Why are we doing things like this? I have a unique perspective or what they'll think is a unique perspective. Maybe they haven't read Thrive yet. Now you look like a hero and you're just, you're, you're, uh, you're copying the word, the great words of Andrew Friedman. So is, is there anything else, anything that they should be pointed to or looking for from, from you and, and the folks that shift the work? Well, the website that you
1: pointed people to, so you can join. We've got a high performance community. There's also a high performance Facebook group. Um, people can find me just using the same social handle Tom on all the channels, a. Friedman Thrive, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. So go to the Thrive website because it has the resources that Tom mentioned. It's also got podcast recordings we've recorded. We have a YouTube channel that's got, I think another 20 videos um, that reinforce some of the core concepts from the book. And so get out there, we're giving them away because we want people to put this stuff to use so they can do better and be better. Um, so get out there. Pick up the book if you're so inclined, but at the very least, consume the content, put these things into place, um, and give me some feedback over time. Anybody that's listening to this, I'd love to
0: hear how you're putting these things into practice and what's working for you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Really appreciate the time. And uh, everyone out there, keep making impact. Laser Focus Mindset Podcast. Right on.